it was an unforgettable moment. A man by the name of Christian LeBlanc was traveling in Thailand. He went to one of the Thai islands and he had the opportunity to purchase some bananas and feed an elephant. And while he was feeding an elephant some bananas, the elephant decided to put his trunk into the man's bag and he pulled out his GoPro stick, his selfie stick. Now, For those of you that don't know what a selfie stick is, it's this extended pole that allows you to take better selfies, pictures of yourself. And the elephant grabs the selfie stick and extends his trunk and somehow is able to snap a photo. So this man, Christian LeBlanc, has a photograph with himself and the elephant. And people are suggesting that they should call it an elfie. An elfie. Now that moment will be one that Christian LeBlanc always remembers. That, that's a moment frozen in time that he will always uh, remember, never forget. Well, this morning we're going to study a man named Philip and how God lined up for him an unforgettable encounter with someone that needed to hear the good news about Jesus. An unforgettable moment frozen in time, what I'm going to call this morning a divine Appointment, And so keeping that in mind, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 as we continue our study, line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful book. Acts chapter 8, we're going to begin reading in verse 26. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. I'd like to ask you this morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Truth with no mixture of error. And I want to just make a, a brief comment. Some of you may have heard uh, through a news story or through social media this weekend that our church has experienced a tragedy. Uh, Scott Agner uh, passed away in a car accident this uh, weekend. Uh, he is in the rotation uh, for um, the drums in our praise band. He was scheduled to play this Sunday. He was uh, at practice with the praise band on Wednesday night to prepare for this Sunday. Um, But again, he uh, passed away in that accident, and it is uh, so devastating and heartbreaking for our church family and particularly for his family that are walking through this. Uh, So I'd like to ask you to pray, first of all, for Haley. That's his wife. She's still in the hospital um, in stable condition, but still very serious condition. So pray for her recovery. She's scheduled to have a surgery, another surgery today. Uh, So pray that she would be healed and recover Pray for their three kids. You can imagine um, what they are experiencing. Again, it's just uh, heartbreaking. Uh, and then the, the, other, the rest of the family, mother and, and, uh, and brother and, and uh, uh, family members are members of our church. And so just pray for, uh, for the, the, the extended family of, of uh, Scott Agner. Um, it's been a, just a reminder of the sometimes cruel brevity of life. The Bible tells us that life is a vapor, and it is. And uh, sometimes it, it just, it's just so um, uh, unforeseen and so uh, unexpected, and uh, it was a, a, a tragic weekend. But also, uh, we're reminded of the hope of the gospel. Uh, we're reminded that it really does matter that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. It really does matter that Jesus gives us eternal life. It, it really does matter that there's heaven after this life, doesn't it? It really does matter. And so we grieve, but we don't grieve without hope. We will see Scott again. Scott knew the Lord. He is with uh, his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and, uh, and, and we know that. But we still hurt, 
for the family, and we hurt as a faith family. Just be praying for the Agner family in, in these coming days that God would just uh, be a healer uh, and a comforter uh, to them. Look with me, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. The Bible says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from, uh, down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, a queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, quick uh, parenthetical statement here. If you're reading the King James Version, you see verse 37. If you're reading another translation, you may not see verse 37, or you may see it in parentheses. There may be a footnote there. The reason that verse 37 is not in some of the newer translations like the ESV that I'm reading from is because verse 37 is not found in the earliest manuscripts, the earliest copies of the original autographs of God's Word. Uh, probably around the second century, verse 37 was, was uh, entered in by a scribe and it came to be seen as part of the text. So it's not in the earliest manuscripts, probably entered, uh, entered in, added in around the second century. Now there's nothing in that verse that changes the theology of the passage or changes the meaning of the passage. It just probably was not in the original. So look what it says in verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray together this morning. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, we are here to praise you, We are here to ascribe to you the worth that is due your name. We are here to glorify you because who is like you, O God? You are the one who reigns in the heavens. Your glory is over all the earth. And you are the God who, in your matchless grace, cares about us. Lord, you draw near with your mercy and with your love and with your compassion and with your help and with your provision and with your protection. We are so grateful, Lord, that the great God of the universe has set set his affection upon us. Lord, we are grateful for that. And we worship you. We, we glorify your great name. And we ask that you would move in our midst. By your spirit, would you open the eyes of our hearts that we might see the truths in this passage and 
Lord, that we might have the wherewithal, Lord, by your Spirit to take these truths and apply them to our life. Lord, may we be changed because of the power of the Word of God in our midst. Help us by your grace to lift up the name of Jesus because it's all about Him. And we'll thank you, Lord, for that. We love you, we praise you, we exalt you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we journey through the book of Acts, we see two ways that the gospel spreads from Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. The first way is what I will call a strategic approach. And by a strategic approach, I mean obedience, sending, going, sharing, and discipling. We see the church obeying God. They're sending people out to share the good news with those who have not yet heard it. They are starting churches. They're discipling new believers. The church is, is sending folks out, supporting the, the missionary work. And so we see the gospel moving forth through just strategic planning uh, and obedience on the part of the early church. But another way in the book of Acts that we see the gospel spread is through divine appointments, divine appointments. And by divine appointments, I mean God sovereignly intersecting lives in dramatic ways for the expansion of the gospel. And in our text this morning, we're going to see God sovereignly intersect two lives in a dramatic way for the gospel. And I want us to see this divine appointment and learn from this divine appointment. There are three aspects of this passage I want you to see, and we'll just walk through it this morning. First of all, we see God drawing uh, the Ethiopian. We see, we, we, or first, notice the links God goes to for one person. That's number one. Notice the links God goes to for one person. And here are the links he goes to on behalf of this Ethiopian eunuch. We see him drawing the Ethiopian. Look what it says uh, in Acts chapter 8, verse 27. It says, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace. So we know this man traveling in a chariot was uh, from Ethiopia. We know he was a eunuch, uh, which was uh, standard for court officials in that day. Uh, Kings and queens wanted their high-ranking court officials focusing on nothing but them. And so he was a eunuch, and he was a court official of Candace. Now, Candace is not a proper name. It was a title for the reigning queen of Ethiopia, and it says that he was in charge of her treasury. So this is the treasurer for the kingdom of Ethiopia. Very important position, a very important uh, man. And we see in this text that God is drawing this Ethiopian to himself. Say, wait, how do you know that God's drawing this Ethiopian to himself? Well, look what it says in verse 27. It says, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. That's interesting. Why was an Ethiopian court official going to Jerusalem, where the temple was, to worship? Well, in some way, this Ethiopian eunuch had heard about the God of the Hebrews, and he wanted to perhaps know more, and he went to worship him so he could discover more about this God, the God of the Jews, the God whose worship was located or centered around the temple in Jerusalem. And not only did he go to Jerusalem to worship, but When he's returning in verse 28, it says, he was seated in his chariot and reading the prophet Isaiah. Now that's interesting. He's reading the Hebrew Scriptures. He's reading the Old Testament. And he's reading Isaiah. And when the passage is quoted in verse 32, we know that he's reading Isaiah chapter 53. 
Now that's significant because Isaiah 53 is one of the most poignant, powerful prophecies of Jesus found in the Old Testament. Written about 700 years before Jesus walked upon the earth, Isaiah 53 speaks clearly of the substitutionary, atoning death of Christ. So he is in Jerusalem worshiping and returning, he's reading the Bible. And I believe that's evidence that God is doing a work in his heart. God is drawing him to himself because this man is a seeker. He's seeking after God. And listen to me, people don't just naturally seek after God. As a matter of fact, if you you look there in your notes, for someone to seek after God, God has to do a work of drawing in their heart. People left to themselves never seek after God. So wait, how do you know that? Well, because the Bible tells me so. In, in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, the Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. And the Bible says no one seeks after God. So for someone to seek after God like this Ethiopian eunuch is doing, God has to do a prevenient work, a, an initiating work in their life to give them the wherewithal, the desire to even seek after the one true God. And so God is, is drawing this man to himself. He said, wait, does God really have to draw you for you to seek after him. Well, Jesus settles it for us in John six forty four, where Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You can never come to Christ unless God first draws you, showing you your need for a Savior, your need for the gospel. So I believe that God is actively working in the heart of this Ethiopian treasurer actively drawing him to himself. He's seeking after truth. He's seeking after God. But not only do we see God drawing the Ethiopian, we see that God is orchestrating an encounter between this Ethiopian treasurer and Philip. Look what it says in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so God intersects Philip's life and and wants him to go to this desert road, this desert place, this road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, uh, to be there uh, to intersect the life of the Ethiopian eunuch. Because look what it says in verse 29. He gets to this road, and the Spirit said to Philip, as this Ethiopian eunuch comes riding by in a chariot, he says, go over and join this chariot. So as, as Philip shows up on this road... He just happens to see a man riding by who just happens to be reading Isaiah chapter 53. And God says, Philip, now's time. Go and join this man. So God's working in the Ethiopian eunuch's heart, drawing him and in Philip's life so that Philip is in the right place at the right time. God is orchestrating this encounter between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. But then we see that God is arranging a divine appointment in this passage for this man to hear the gospel. So he comes by reading Isaiah, and in verse 30, Philip says, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? Open door, right? How can I understand this passage unless someone teaches me? And so he invited Philip to come and sit with him. So Philip gets into the chariot, and the passage is read, and And Philip uses that opportunity to point him to Jesus, who the passage is about. And so this is a divine appointment that God arranged to bring these two together so that this Ethiopian eunuch could hear the truth about Jesus and be saved. Which leads me to this definition of a divine appointment. 
Divine appointments happen, listen, at the intersection of God's guidance, prepared hearts, and providential encounters. That's how divine appointments happen. God's guidance, prepared hearts, providential encounters. Now, I was studying this passage and thinking about the length that God went to for this Ethiopian eunuch. And then I began to think about the lengths that God went to for me. And I had a happy moment. I began to think about my salvation and what God did on behalf of me. Little old sinful Wade, what God did for me. You see, I was born into a Christian home. My parents took me to church where I heard the gospel. So grateful for that. But you need to understand that when my parents were married, they were not Christians. They were unchurched. And, 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 and one day, my dad was out in the front yard raking some leaves, and this independent Baptist pastor came walking down the road, going door to door, knocking on doors, sharing Christ. And he, and he stopped and talked to my dad in the yard, and he led my dad to Christ. Dad got saved. He went to that church and got baptized. My mom went. She got saved. She got baptized. So when I was born, shortly thereafter, I was born into a Christian home. Isn't that glorious? God did that. And so I grew up going to church, hearing the gospel from faithful pastors and from faithful Sunday school teachers. I can tell you their names, how they impacted me growing up in that church. And when I was, when I was nine years old, God began to do a work of stirring in my life. He began to grip my heart, and I began to think about spiritual things and ask spiritual questions and began to talk to my parents. And my parents talked to my pastor and said, why well, he's asking these questions about these things? And, and, and one summer afternoon, I experienced a divine appointment. My pastor came out to my house and we sat down at my dining room table and my pastor walked me through some verses in the Bible and I saw as I read the scriptures and the Spirit of God was working in my life that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And at nine years of age, I called upon the name of the Lord and I was gloriously saved. And I think the links that God went to for me, what he did for me so that I could be saved. But it gets even greater than that. You know, for me to be saved, God had to provide salvation, right? And think about the lengths God went to to provide salvation. He sent His only Son. And His Son came and died on the cross, taking all of our sins on Himself. He paid the penalty that we deserve to pay. Christ died in our place. And after He was buried on the third day, He rose from the grave. He defeated death itself. God gave His only Son because He loved me so much. And He loved you so much. God went to great lengths on behalf of this Ethiopian eunuch. But He went to great lengths on our behalf too. And for that, we should be grateful. So notice, first of all, the links that God goes to for one person. As I was studying this passage, it reminded me of the, the parable in Luke 15 where Jesus says there's a shepherd and he has 99 sheep, but there's one missing. So he, he, he left the 99 to go seek the one who was lost. In this passage, we see God moving in supernatural ways for one man's soul. The links God goes to for one person. But there's a second aspect of this text I want you to see. I want us to learn from Philip's example. There's much to learn from Philip in this passage. And there are three major things we can learn from Philip. Number one, we can learn from his obedience. Look what the Bible says 
in verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, you say, well, that's pretty cool. Did God just send an angel to tell him where he was supposed to go? Well, the word angel there is angelos. It could be translated messenger. And I believe this was the Holy Spirit because in verse 29, it says, the Spirit said to Philip. So here in verse 26, it calls the Holy Spirit of God a messenger of the Lord. And, And the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now, I love verse 27. And he rose and went. Isn't that good? Hey, Philip, go to this desert place. Go to this road. And Philip rose and went. Philip here is demonstrating full and unquestioning obedience to the Lord. Now, we need to ask this question. Do you think this, this command perplexed Philip? I believe it did. Because you see, if you read Acts chapter 8, Philip is a deacon preaching the gospel in Samaria, and he is right in the middle of a revival. I mean, if you read Acts 8, there's a gospel movement. The gospel is spreading like a forest fire, and, and people are being swept into the kingdom, and, and, and Philip sees all these people saved. And then God says, leave the revival and go to the desert. I can imagine that was probably a head-scratcher for Philip. People are getting saved, Lord. I'm I'm being used here. And God says, I want you to go to this road, this, this desert place. You know what we learn from that? We learn that sometimes God's guidance doesn't make sense. When God leads us, sometimes from our our limited human, finite perspective, we can understand God's leadership. We can understand God's command. For example, he may tell someone in this room, I want you to sell your house, I want you to quit your job, and I want you to move overseas and plant your life among an unreached people group for the glory of Christ and the sake of the gospel. He may ask you to do that. He's asked others to do that, that have been sent out from our church. He may ask you to do that. He said, he, he well, never asked me to do that. I wouldn't be so sure. He asked Philip to leave a revival, to go to a desert place. And so sometimes God's guidance doesn't make sense. He, he may ask you to do something that doesn't make sense from your, for, from your perspective. But if he tells you to do something, the answer has to be yes. Because listen, when God leads, we are to follow because he is Lord. When you call Jesus Lord, you're saying this. Jesus, you have every right to claim every area of my life. And if you tell me to do something, the answer has to be yes, because you are Lord. You see, the words no and Lord don't go together. If Jesus tells you to do something, you can't say no, Lord, because when you say no, you're saying you're not my Lord. Right? Philip here, here's a command from his Lord. And he goes. And so you and I need to learn from Philip and learn to be sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. When he leads us, when he guides us, when he directs us, just like he did Philip, the answer has to be, yes, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. Obedience. When the opportunity presents itself and God is leading, you and I are called to be obedient. But there's a second word that I see from Philip's example, and it's the word initiative. Look what it says in verse 30. 
says, Philip ran to him as the chariot passes by with the Ethiopian eunuch, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, look what it says, do you understand what you are reading? He asked the question. I like what David Peterson writes, realizing the opportunity he had to proclaim Christ, Philip then took the initiative and asked, do you understand what you're reading? In other words, Philip here had to take a step to engage this man with the gospel. And the Lord made it easy for him. I mean, he rides by, he's reading Isaiah, but he had to ask the question, do you understand what you are reading? You know what we learn from that? We learn that when we sense a divine appointment, we then need to take the initiative. In other words, when you see God doing his part, arranging circumstances, when you see God doing that, opening up doors, when you see God doing that, you've got to be prepared to take the next step. When you see God doing his part, you've got to learn to do your part. Think of yourself as an instrument in the hands of God. God is going to great lengths for this, perhaps this one soul that God has brought you to encounter, this one person. He's gone to great lengths, but now you are the instrument in the hands of God to point this person to Jesus Christ. And so you and I have to learn When we see God working around us and we see that open door, we've got to learn to take that sometimes uncomfortable step, step through that door and take the initiative to talk to them about Jesus. And as I think about my own life, I see that's where I've missed it so many times. There have been many times in my life where God's been working around me in someone's life and, and I was there at the right place at the right time, but because of fear or apathy or busyness, I just let the moment pass. I could have taken that step, that, that initiative to just engage someone with the gospel, but I, but I didn't and I walked away. And you've probably done that too. So if we're going to learn something from Philip, we need to learn that you and I are going to have to take the initiative. When God's doing his part, we've got to do his part. We are an instrument in God's hands to point them to Christ, which leads me to the third thing. We learn from Philip obedience and initiative, but we also learn that we need to know how to share the good news. Look what the Bible says in verse 34. They read this passage in Isaiah 53, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? So he's reading about Jesus, and he says to Philip, who is this about? That's an open door, isn't it? And it says in verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip knew how to share the gospel. He knew how to share the good news. Now, a couple things about that. Number one, use the Bible. Use the Bible. He's reading Isaiah 53, so it was easy, but he used the Bible to, to teach him about Jesus. And we need to do that because... There's power in God's word. Isaiah 55 says that when God's word goes out, it never returns empty or void. It always accomplishes what God wants it to accomplish. So whenever we have an opportunity to point someone to Christ, use God's word. There's power in God's word. And Philip sees that in this text. But the second thing is, if we think about the good news, we need to learn how to share the story. We need to learn how to use God's word and from God's word Share the story of Jesus Christ. And you may be out there this morning and think, wait, I wish I knew how. I need some training. 
I need someone to show me how to share that story. I've never been trained in evangelism or how to share my faith. So I, I need someone to help me. Well, I'm glad you asked. Because we're about to do right now some evangelism training. Right now. And I want to give you four words that will help you. If you learn these four words, they will help you to walk someone through the story of Jesus from God's word. Here's the first word. God. God. What do you mean when you say God? I mean that you need to share with someone that God created us and He is holy. The Bible is clear. Psalm 100 verse 3 talks about God being our creator. 1 John 1 5 says that God is light in Him. There's no darkness at all. And so God is our creator and God is perfect. He's a God of absolute moral perfection. So start by talking about God. God has made us. God is, God is real. He's there. And, and He is perfect. That's how you start sharing the gospel. The second word is the word man. Man. Not only do you want to talk about God, you want to talk about humanity's plight. And by speaking of man, I mean we need to share that we have rebelled against our Creator and deserve His punishment. We need to share with folks. God is perfect, and He's given us His commandments, His expectations for how we ought to live our lives, His moral truth, and all of us have rebelled against a holy God. Romans 3.10, again, there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Because we have sinned against God, we are separated from Him, and we deserve punishment. And so God is creator, He's made us, and He's perfect, and, and we have all rebelled against God. God has told us what we're to do and what we're not to do. And everyone in this room has done something God's told you not to do. And we've all failed to do things God's told us to do, right? He's perfect, and we've all missed the mark. We've all rebelled against a holy God and deserve His punishment, which leads me to the third word. The third word is Christ. When you share about humanity's plight, it's time for you to share the story of Jesus. Jesus came to earth, took on human flesh, died in our place on the cross, and rose victoriously from the dead. Jesus is God's rescue from our sin. Jesus is God's redemption from our bondage to sin. Jesus is God's rescuer for us. And so we share that Jesus came and died on the cross and rose from the dead to defeat our sin. He died to pay the penalty for our sin, the the penalty we deserve. And he rose to defeat death itself. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and on the third day he rose according to the Scriptures. So you talk about Christ, what Jesus has done for you and for me, which leads to the fourth word, response. God, man, Christ, response. I want you to hear something very important, and this might be for someone in this room today. Just knowing the facts about Jesus doesn't save you. Just knowing the things I just shared, that doesn't save you. Being a church member doesn't save you. Being a part of a particular denomination does not save you. Having Christian parents does not save you. Attending church does not save you. Salvation comes when you personally respond to the finished work of Christ. 
You hear the good news and you respond. So wait, how do you respond? How are you saved? If you look there in your notes, if we want to be forgiven of our sins, we are to repent of our sins. That means you say, I'm going the wrong direction. I don't want to go that way anymore. I want to turn and go a new direction. That's repentance. And you believe in Christ. That's faith. You say, this road leads to destruction. I want to stop going this direction. I want to turn and I want to follow the one who died for me. I believe that Jesus is my only hope. And based upon that belief, I want to surrender all to him. That's repentance and faith. Acts 20, 21 says they were going publicly and from house to house teaching repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so that's how you share the gospel. God Man, Christ, responds. And every one of you can do that. Now, maybe not as loud as I just did it, but you can do that. Learn those four words so that when a divine opportunity presents itself like it did to Philip, you can actually lead someone to salvation that's only found in Jesus Christ. And so we learn from Philip's example, this, this obedience, this initiative, and this actual sharing of the good news so that the Ethiopian eunuch could be saved. This past week, I had a church member come and share a story with me that was moving. And it was, it was particularly moving because it was right in line with what I'd been studying in Acts chapter 8 uh, this past week. This uh, lady in our church was doing some ministry up in Memphis and she had a friend ask her for a ride to work, which was unusual, and she was busy uh, with this other task, but she agreed to, to give this lady a ride to work, and after she did that, she went into a Kroger in Memphis, and, and when she was coming out, a man approached her with a petition in his hand. And the man asked her to sign the petition. Here's what he said. He said, uh, years ago, my daughter was murdered. And, and the man who murdered her is in prison, and he's coming up for parole. And I'm trying to get people to sign this document so that he can't get out of prison. man was obviously hurting over the loss of his daughter from years prior. And this lady in our church, this member, said, Well, I'll, I'll, I'll sign your document, but I've got a question for you. Have you forgiven the man? And this took this man trying to get signatures for the petition. It took him aback. As you can imagine. And, and, and they talked just for a moment. And this lady said, I'm going to be praying for you that even in the midst of all this, you can find forgiveness for this man. And, and she walked away and she got in her vehicle and she was driving away. And she began to sense the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It reminded me of Acts chapter 8. And it was as if the Holy Spirit was saying to her, I don't want you just to pray for that man. I want you to pray with that man. And she stopped and she turned around, went back to Kroger, found the man, getting his petition filled out. She began to talk to him about forgiveness. And she shared with him, think, think of this bridge to the gospel. She shared with him, you'll never be able to forgive that man if you've never experienced the forgiveness that's found in Christ. And she walked him through the good news. And she said, I've come back to, to pray for you. And and she went to pray, and he held out her, his hands and grabbed her hands, and he began to pray before she could get to it. He began to pray, and, 
and they had this time in the parking lot. God was moving in the man's life. Obviously troubled, but God was moving in his life. And, and she left that time and, and, was, and was driving away. That man had her a clear gospel presentation. And she was so grateful, so grateful for the Lord's leadership that lined all of that up and led her back to this man so that she could point him to Jesus. You know what that was taking place outside of Kroger? That was a divine appointment. The intersection of God's orchestration and prepared hearts and an obedient servant that took the initiative to point this man to Jesus. And so in this text, we... We see the links that God goes to for just one person. We, we learn from Philip's example. But, but third and last, very quickly, I want us to consider the greater purpose of this encounter. I want us to consider the greater purpose of this encounter. It says there in verse 39, after he hears the good news, places faith in Christ, he's baptized. It says, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. That's interesting, isn't it? He shows up travels to the, the Gaza Road, points this man to Jesus, the man saved, and he's carried away. Now, we don't know exactly how he's carried away. Was it supersonic travel? We don't know exactly what happened, but God got him out of there and put him in another place. And, and he's carried away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but he went on his way rejoicing. This man had left Ethiopia seeking God, but lost. And he was returning to Ethiopia as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Awesome. Isn't that awesome? This man is rejoicing. He found, found salvation in Christ. And he's, he's still heading back to Ethiopia as a saved sinner. So what do we glean from that? Well, this man went back to Ethiopia as a born-again believer, partially fulfilling God's purpose to move in that land. Did you know that the Old Testament speaks of God's work among the people of Ethiopia? Hold your place, but turn with me to Psalm 68 very quickly. Psalm 68. I want to show you this because it's glorious. Psalm 68. Verse 31, Psalm 68, verse 31. The Bible says, Nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten, stretch out her hands to God. Cush is another word for Ethiopia. And the Bible tells us that, that God's going to work in such a way among the Ethiopians that they would stretch out their hands to the living God, stretch out their hands to the one true God as an act of worship. And so the Bible prophesied God's working among the Ethiopians. But it gets even better. Turn over to Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56. Now, remember that in the chariot, this Ethiopian was reading from Isaiah chapter 53. And after Philip is snatched away, and he goes on his way rejoicing, I wonder if he kept reading Isaiah. Because if he would have, three chapters later, he would have read this. Look in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. In other words, God's saying there's hope not just for my people, the Jews. There, there's hope for all the nations. There's hope for the foreigner. I will receive the foreigner who comes to me with heartfelt worship. But then it says, let not the eunuch say, 
Behold, I am a dry tree. In other words, eunuchs don't have to live with hopelessness. God will receive them too. They may be seen as outcasts in society, but God will receive them by His grace. For thus says the Lord, verse 4, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name, Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Can you imagine? This Ethiopian eunuch is traveling back to Ethiopia, a born-again believer, and he reads in Isaiah that God had a plan all along for the foreigner and all along even for eunuchs. You see, this man's salvation is a partial fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies that said God would move among the nations. God would move in places like Cush, Ethiopia, in mighty, mighty ways. And here's what's interesting. An early church father named Irenaeus wrote in the 2nd century that this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, went back to Ethiopia and became a missionary to his people. And that you can trace back much of the Christianity in that nation to the Ethiopian eunuch. So consider that God went to great lengths for this one man, this one soul, this one lost sheep. But he had a greater purpose. He wanted to use him as a light to the nation of Ethiopia. I wonder if you've considered the greater purpose of your salvation? Have you considered that God not only wants to do something in you, but God wants to do something through you? Have you considered that God saved you because He wants to use you in ways that you can't even imagine for the glory of Christ? Consider the greater purpose of this encounter in Acts 8, but also consider the greater purpose of your salvation. I thought about the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. In in that chapter, uh, Paul and Silas are in jail, and God shakes the the building, and the chains fall, and and Paul and Silas are free. They They can just escape from the prison. And the Philippian jailer thinks they're gone. So he's about to kill himself because jailers that let people escape were killed. And before he kills himself, Paul says, hey, we ain't gone anywhere. We're still here. Now, that's amazing to me. They turned down freedom for the soul of this Philippian jailer. They said, listen, don't care. We're still here. We had not run off. We're still here. And they led that Philippian jailer to Christ. The links that God went to for this Philippian jailer. But then guess what happened? They went back to the man's home. And his household heard the gospel. And along with this jailer, his entire household was saved by the grace of God. The greater purpose for God's work in one person's life. Have you considered that God wants to use you to impact your family? To impact your workplace? impact your high school or your middle school or your college campus. God not only wants to do something for you, He wants to do something through you. Just like He did through this Ethiopian eunuch. 
And so as we study Acts chapter 8, we see much about divine appointments. And here's the point for for all of us in this room. Here's the point for, for our church. In the midst of our plans and strategies, we should be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leadership in anticipation of divine appointments. Yes, we plan, we send, we go, we make disciples. We have strategies, we have ideas, we have goals, we have plans, but we're also fervently to look for the Holy Spirit just to orchestrate these these dramatic encounters with those that need to hear about Jesus. Jesus.